What's up, y'all? And welcome to Every Little Things Podcast. If you are new to my podcast, welcome. Make sure you hit that follow button and share with your friends and family. I am so happy that you decided to join me today for our episode. I missed you so, so, so much. And of course, I am bringing a true crime case. Now, this case that I've researched on is horrific. So it's going to be very interesting and intriguing. Now, we are covering a Scottish serial killer. Now, I say he's is Scottish because he's from Scotland, but he operated and carried out his killings in London. So... Once again, we're going to be talking about a Scottish serial killer, and his name is Dennis Nielsen. So, of course, go ahead, put on your robe, get comfortable, kick your feet back, grab your cup of wine, your popcorn, whatever you want to grab, and let's get into today's case. I just want to give my usual disclaimer that I mean absolutely no disrespect to anyone that I talk about in this episode. This is all just information that I have found on the internet and I'm compiling into one episode. So in January and February of 1983, residents of 23 Cranley Gardens began complaining to their landlord about blocked drains. Now, 23 Cranley Gardens was a house in North London that had been split in two. It had six different flats, and because it was originally a house, all these six flats had different tenants, and they all shared the same drainage system and just about everything. And then, one day, they started having all these blockage problems. So in early February, a plumber was brought in to unblock one of the toilets in the flat and he did so successfully and everything was fine. But he ended up saying to the landlord that that was one of the worst smells he had ever smelled in his life. But still, even after unblocking that one toilet in that one flat, it quickly got blocked again and all the other flats were having the same problems. So, another plumber was brought in this time to look properly under the house on Thursday, February 8th of 1983. So, when that plumber was brought in, he went under the house, of course, and he was looking at all the plumbing system and everything, and he said that everything seemed fine. But that was until he lifted a certain part in the drainage system and a little bit of the plumbing when he saw what he described as a butcher's prepared meat with bones. So the plumber pulled these pieces of meat from the drain and called his boss to ask what he should do. And in this time, all the residents of 23 Cranley Gardens had come out to see what was going on. Hell, I would have too, you know, especially when my drainage system keep getting blocked, you know. 
So they came out to see what was going on, what they had found, and the plumber's boss just told him to leave leave them inside the drain, but on a ledge so that the meat wouldn't get washed back in, you know, and end up blocking the drainage system again. And they would come back in the morning and have a proper look at them. But, unsurprisingly, the next year, just a year later, the plumbers went back and all these pieces of meat, all these bones that was there had disappeared. So the plumbers carried on and what they did was they started looking in different pipes and things like that to see if they could find anything else because now there's of course a bit of suspicion going on. Like why are these pieces of meat here? You know, why are they here in the first place? So they went looking in all these different pipes and on one side of the building, it was disconnected. So what they did was they went to that side of the building and started looking in the pipes. And the plumber ended up putting his hand in one of the pipes and pulled out another piece of flesh. So at this point, they like, oh, hell no, we finna call the police. So they called the police because they were very suspicious about finding chunks of meat in the drainage system. And these police took these chunks of meat to a pathologist who confirmed that they were in fact pieces of human flesh. And this pathologist could even tell that the person that this piece of flesh had come from had actually been strangled to death. It just so happened that this one piece of flesh that they found in the drain alongside of the house was actually from this person's neck. And it had a ligature mark on it from where they had been strangled. So quickly, police realized that because this piece of flesh was found in the drain system on the side of the building, it had to have come from someone inside of 23 Cranley Gardens. Because before, when these pieces of flesh flesh were found in that drain outside of the house, it could have been anyone. It could have been someone trying to frame someone at 23 Cranley Gardens. You often see that killers don't dump the body close to where they committed the murder and you know, and live at. So it can't be traced back to them. So that was always a possibility. But now there was flesh being found in the actual pipes in the building. And it was also clear that these pieces of flesh hadn't come from the ground floor flaps because they don't use the pipe that the side of the building uses. Um, That's on the top and the middle flats. So the police got in contact with the landlords that owned the house and owned all these flats. They knew everyone that lived there and they found out that no one actually lived in the middle flat. So it had to be either the top flat and the top flat was owned by 37 year old Dennis Nelson who was an executive officer at the local police station so they immediately went around to you know to the crime scene to 23 Cranley Garlands to question Dennis now although he wasn't home he wouldn't be back from work until around 5 p.m. So the officers just went outside his house for him and waited for him to come home. And while they waited, they questioned the ground floor resident of 23 Cranley Gardens, who said that 
they actually seen Dennis Nelson outside in the early hours of the morning. They said he was red in the face. He seemed like he'd been sweating. He was wearing a vest that exposed his arms and his arms were dirty. So about here is when the police started thinking that maybe he had gone into this drain and grabbed all those pieces of flesh. Eventually at 5.40 p.m., Dennis Nielsen returned home from work. 23 Cranley Guardians and the police introduced themselves. Detective Peter J. told Dennis Nielsen that he was there about his blocked drains, to which Dennis Nielsen laughed and said, since when have police been interested in blocked drains? So at this stage, Detective J. decided to take a less aggressive approach, and he just said, well, if you take me up into your flat, and I'll tell you all about it. So as soon as they got upstairs into Dennis' flat, Dennis opened the door and the police noticed a really strong order. And they said that the atmosphere felt evil. So Detective J told Dennis Nielsen that he was there because the drains of 23 Cranley Gardens had been blocked with human remains. In which Dennis Nielsen replied, oh my God, how awful. Like, okay. So Detective J took a step towards him, looked him straight in the eyes and just said, don't mess with me about, you know, any of this. Where's the rest of the body? And to his surprise, Dennis asked, was very cooperative. So Dennis paused for a second and then he said, okay, fair enough. They're in two bags in the wardrobe in the other room. And he gave them the keys to be able to unlock the wardrobe. So the officers went in and opened this wardrobe. They saw these bags. They smelled this awful smell. And they didn't even bother looking inside the bags. Hell, I would have been too scared to look inside of it. Mm-mm. So instead of them looking inside the bag, they just arrested Dennis Nielsen right on spot. Then and there. So in the car on the way back to the police station, there was Detective Peter J driving with Detective PC Muscar. And they he sat in the back with Dennis Nielsen. And PC noticed that when he looked at those two bags in the wardrobe, that they were very big. They were very full for just one human body. So Muscar turned to Dennis and said well how many bodies are we talking you know like is it one two three like how many is it and y'all guess what Dennis replied is 15 or 16 I think bruh like sir how you not know how many people you done killed if you don't know how many people you done kill, you're killing too many people. Make it make sense, y'all. Make it make sense. So after he said this, Officer Jay nearly crashed the car when he said it, you know. And then it dawned on them that they had a serial killer in the car that is claiming to have killed 15 to 16 men. They had no restraints on him. This man was in handcuffs or anything, wasn't just nothing like they just had him sitting there and then y'all the officers didn't even have anything on them this man could have 
punch these people in the throat or something and killed them. You know what I'm saying? Like, just crazy. What was y'all thinking? So, with them not expecting for Dennis to confess to like 15 or 16 murders, Officer Muskaker, I cannot say his last name, just had to kind of grab his jacket sleeve to make sure he didn't try to get out. So now before I get into Nielsen's questioning or confessions or anything like that, I just want to give a bit of background on who Dennis Nielsen was. So Dennis Andrew Nielsen was born on November 23rd, 1945 in Aberdeenshire in Scotland. He was the second of three children to a Scottish mother and a Norwegian father. Now, although he never really knew his dad growing up, Nielsen was a bit of a loner. You know, he was an introvert. He didn't really have any friends or anything like that. His own mother and his own siblings didn't really pay much attention to him. They didn't want to play with him or anything. You know, like they just was like, he just like a black sheep, not part of the family. So Nielsen just didn't have any tactical relationship with anyone really apart from his grandfather, who he absolutely adored. And Dennis was actually named after his grandfather. His grandfather was called Andrew. So that's how Dennis ended up with his name being Dennis Andrew Nielsen. And so that's possibly why his grandfather gravitated more to Dennis rather than his older brother and younger sister. Or maybe, you know, he just felt bad for Dennis, that he had no friends and that his own siblings and parents didn't want to deal with them. But either way, Dennis and his grandfather were best friends. They adored each other. Dennis' grandfather would take him for a really long you know countryside walk they'd be out for hours and Dennis would be on his grandfather's shoulder they'll go by the harbors and they'll go through fields and everything now the siblings would only join them on rare occasions it was very much a Dennis and his grandfather type of thing his grandfather was a fisherman and although he sometimes take Dennis on you know, days fishing and stuff. His long-term trips would be anywhere between a couple of weeks and a couple of months. And Dennis recalled that when his grandfather would be out on these really long fishing trips, he said that life would be empty until he returned. And he called his granddad a great hero and protector. Now, when Dennis was five years old, his grandfather's health began to decline very rapidly. And on October 31st, 1951, his grandfather died out at sea. He had a heart attack at the age 62. His body was brought back to shore for a proper burial. And Dennis remembered coming home from school one day, seeing his mother weeping uncontrollably. uncontrollably. And he didn't know why he he didn't know why so he asked his mother you know what's wrong but all she said was do you want to see your granddad and of course Dennis wanted to see his granddad so he got really excited because he wanted to see his best friend so she said he's in the kitchen and well he said I apologize that he was in the kitchen and so Dennis walked into the kitchen and there was no one there 
but there was this long box on the kitchen table. And when he looked inside of it, it was his granddad in an open coffin. And obviously, he was five years old. He didn't understand the concept of death quite yet. No one had prepared him to see his granddad in that way at all. And all this was Dennis Nielsen's first real experience with death and with love. You know, he was, his granddad was the only person he ever really loved. And so psychologists believe that in that moment, when he saw his grandfather dead, the only man that he ever had a connection with, the ideas of death and of love kind of fused in his brain, it became intertwined. His mother had all had also told him that his grandfather had gone to a better place. And Dennis remembered thinking at five years old, well, why didn't he take me with him if he loved me? You know, why wouldn't he take me to this better place? Why would he leave me here alone? And from that point on, Dennis' mother said that he was never the same child. He lost that kind of innocent, energetic spark in him, you know, and and most children do when they lose someone they're really close to. He became very reserved, very shy. He would go out for walks, but his walks would be hours long, and he would walk the same routes that his grandfather used to take him. He stopped taking part in family gatherings, you know, And whenever anyone would show him any kind of affection, like try to hug him or anything, he would just reject it. Whereas before he longed for it, you know, before when no one was showing him affection, that was all he wanted. And now when he would get it, he wouldn't want it. And later in life, Dennis grew to resent his mother and his grandmother for the unfair amount of attention that they would give him and his siblings and he felt like they gave his siblings more they favored them and he was just a black sheep you know he felt he was very singled out and so he also agreed to resent his siblings and he resented them because they never wanted to play with him. They didn't want to go for walks, you know, down onto the beach or by the harbors where his grandfather used to take him fishing, where they used to go on walks and things. And he would often sometimes stimulate drowning to feel closer to his grandfather. And one time when he was 10 years old, he went out into the sea and he began simulating drowning. He never used to do it too far out in the sea, so he could always kind of put his feet back down and survive, you know, where at this time a tide would actually drag him out a bit further and he couldn't stand and he began to actually drown at this time when he went out to sea. Um, He began flailing his arms and he began screaming And if it wasn't for another older boy swimming out to go and get Dennis Nielsen, he would have drowned. And then it was said that he thought in that moment that was his grandfather coming to drag him out to be with him in his earth, you know, to be with him in heaven. So in his early teenage years, Dennis Nielsen struggled coming out to terms with his sexuality quite a lot. 
he thought for a while that maybe he liked men, but obviously this was the 60s, you know. It was not an accepting time of gay people. And so when he tried to hide it from everyone, it was kind of hard. But later in life, when he kind of came to terms with his sexuality, he never really wanted to label it. He never wanted to be gay. He never wanted to be straight. He never wanted to be bisexual. You know, just no label. And when when Dennis, when Dennis questionings with the police happened much, much later, once he had been caught for all these murders, he would say, for record's sake, you can call me homosexual for record's sake. You can call me uh, homosexual because he himself never really knew what he was. And he never really felt he needed to know what he was. He was just Dennis. But when he first started noticing in this attraction to other boys in his early teenage years, he would look at his kind of, you know, his kind of type, and he noticed that a lot of their features mirrored the features of his sister. And he ended up, you know, coming to an initial stage and coming to terms with his sexuality when he was trying to deny it. He was trying to think of himself as being astray. He was saying that, no, I'm not attracted to these boys. This is just a manifestation of my love for my sister. I just love my sister and don't like boys. And some sources said that Dennis actually touched his sister on one occasion to try to get rid of these kind of thoughts about other boys in his head. Although some sources said that some sass had been done so that, so I don't know how accurate that is. He never made any kind of attempt to be in a relationship or to even have any sexual encounters with these boys. He was happy just being as he was, you know, just kind of attracted to them, but he would never act on it, which also made him think that he was asexual. Although on one occasion when Dennis was quite a young teenager, he was sexually assaulted by an older boy, and he described the experience as not unpleasant. And it's also said in some sources that he actually tried to touch his older brother as well. Although, once again, some sources say it's it was done. So I don't know what's true. Although eventually his brother did get quite suspicious that maybe Dennis was gay. Although he didn't have any evidence for it, he would always ridicule him for it. He would call him, you know, him, which is slang for a girl. And because Dennis' home life wasn't happy, he didn't have many friends. He didn't really have anything to lose at age 15, you know. Um, so Dennis Nielsen decided that he was going to join the Army to be able to get in the army he had to do certain testing things he had to finish his schooling and it was found in these tests that he did that you know his intelligence was way above average of other recruits his age he also particularly excelled in history but he hated sports and it was Dennis time in the army 
that he picked up photography as a hobby. All the psychologists believe that this is a lot more deep-rooted in Dennis as it is with other people that just enjoy photography. Dennis always felt the need to be in control of everything, which is which just isn't realistic in life. You can't control everything in your life. However, you can control a picture. You can ask people to do certain things, you know, stand in certain places. You can position things. And then you take that foot and it's like that for everything when things are moving in real life. And this control thing just gradually got more and more interesting to him. You know, he would control more things for these photos until eventually he got his other army recruits to join in in these photos. He would ask them to lay on the floor and pretend that they'd been shot. And he would take these photos and develop them and put them up inside, you know, kind of his drawers. And his army friends just kind of went along with that, although none of them liked Dennis. They would always talk about him in private and they would call him homophobic slurs. Even though they didn't actually know that he was attracted to men, Dennis tried so hard to keep that a secret. Although he would do certain things, you know, in that time people would think were gay to do. Dennis would fight all the other boys. He would fight them. He would be punching, kicking, pushing people you know, Dennis would slap and he won't scratch his opponent. And a lot of the boys just assumed that he was gay and really didn't like it, you know, but obviously, like I said, they didn't actually know if he was gay, you know, if they did know that he was gay, if he came out and said that he would have probably been kicked out of the army or something, you know, Dennis would never shower with the other men out of fears that he would get aroused in their presence. He would never do certain things, you know, like he was very careful about letting people see who he really was. So while he was in the army, Nielsen and all of his kind of army friends would drink to to the point they were drunk, you know. And this was every single night. And one morning, he actually woke up in a friend's dorm and in his bed. After they'd been drinking, they blacked out drunk. Nothing actually happened between him and this other man that night. However, this whole event just kind of initiated a fantasy in Dennis, in Dennis about having sex with an unconscious body or about him being completely passive. And from that point on, Dennis stopped getting blackout drunk. He would still drink with the other men. He would get, you know, a little tipsy, but he wouldn't get too, too drunk. He would just make sure that he always knew what was going on. And Dennis did that on purpose. He would act like he was, you know, such a soldier at this. And he would go back to other men's dorms with them, just pretending like he was so drunk. Find his way back to his own place. I mean, he would pretend to pass out on the bed, on the sofa, or whatever, and hope that one of these men would take advantage of him. 
Dennis and the other man in the army always used to go out and get prostitutes and Dennis would go with them. He would act like he was up for it with them. However, he only went through with it a couple of times. He would always come up with excuses as to why he was going home, he was tired or whatever. And on the rare occasions that he would actually go through with it and use these prostitute services, he recounted the experiences as overrated and depressing. After 11 years in the service, Dennis Nielsen left the army at age 26 and returned home to Scotland. And one night when he was back in Scotland, Dennis, his brother, and his brother wife, and another couple were all watching a documentary about male homosexuality, and everyone in the room was disgusted by this documentary, apart from Dennis. And everyone that was in the room were making comments. They were saying horrible things about gay people, and Dennis just kind of snapped. He didn't admit his own sexuality when he was talking to these people, but he did speak in defense of gay rights. And because of their status as an older brother, he went into their he went to their mother and told her that Dennis was gay. Obviously, he didn't know that Dennis was gay. He just kind of assumed from the way that he reacted when everyone was saying those horrible things, and his mother didn't approve. And then he tried to deny it to his family. Although ultimately there was no point, he wasn't happy at home and he didn't have anything to lose. So he decided to move away. He moved away from Scotland entirely to London in England where he could finally be himself. And once he was in London, he joined the police force, probably due to his need to control situations. And he really liked this job. He got on with all, along with all of his coworkers, but then ultimately left 11 months later. He then began working at a job center, which is where he worked all the way up until his arrest in 1983. It was around this time that Nielsen's fascination with death kind of strengthened. He would put pale makeup on his face. He would make his lips blush. He would make his eyes bloodshot red. And then he would stand in front of a mirror for hours just staring at himself, pretending that he was dead. He'd also just kind of lay there for hours at a time with his eyes closed, just pretending that he was dead. He wasn't asleep. Like, he would just do that for hours, where normal people had would go out and, like, socialize or do a spa or a hobby or whatever. That was Nielsen's hobby, pretending that he was dead. And now that he was in London and he could kind of freely express his sexuality, he used to attend gay clubs multiple nights a week. He would engage in one night stands a lot of these times, but then by 1975, he kind of realized that he wanted something a bit more permanent. He was bored of that kind of lifestyle. He wanted a proper, you know, boyfriend, someone permanent. And so he continued to go to these gay clubs, hoping that he'd meet someone who also wanted a long-term relationship. But the problem was, at 
the time, a lot of the men that would go to these gay clubs were just kind of looking for a one night thing. They weren't looking for anything serious. And then on November of 1975, while he was on one of the, out one of these nights, he came out of the club and he was gonna go home. But then he met this man outside of the bar. This man was quite small, he was quite feminine, and he was being threatened and intimidated by two large kind of rough looking men. And so Dennis decided to step in and get this kind of smaller man away from the other two bigger men. This man was 20 year old David Galician, a young gay man that just moved to London and Nelson decided to invite him back to his flat for a cooked meal. The two of them got drunk and they talked all night into the early hours of the morning. And Dennis learned everything about David. He learned that he was unemployed, that he was harmless, and he was moving between hotel and he was homeless and he was very sweet. And the next morning, when it came time for David to leave, as Dennis one night stands normally did the morning after, Dennis realized that he had quite an attachment to David and he didn't want this man to leave. And so in a kind of spur, spare of the moment thing, Dennis asked David to move in with them. He said that they could get a bigger flat together, they could get a doll, they could just have this really nice life. And David didn't really have anything to lose, and so he accepted Dennis' offer. So, Dennis Nelson's biological father, the one that never really had anything to do with him, actually passed away two years before this and left each of his three children a thousand pounds each. Dennis knew that he might need this money one day, and so he saved it for something, you know, waiting for a time to come along to use it. And this was actually what was spent on the new place, the new flat. The two men went out and they found this kind of larger flat. It was on the ground floor. It was a ground floor flat on a street called Melrose, Melrose Avenue. And it had exclusive access to the garden as well as a place for them to keep a dog. And this flat was relatively cheap for what it was because it needed a lot of renovation, which was completely fine. They decided that Dennis would carry on working and David would remain unemployed so that he could fix up the house during the day. And obviously, Dennis, with his kind of control power thing that he had, he loved this kind of dynamic between them. And he always told David that he shouldn't get a job and that he wanted David to be the kind of, you know, let's say house husband. We ain't gonna say housewife, but, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> wanted to be the kind of, and Dennis wanted to be the kind of breadwinner of the household. So the two of them, David and Dennis, never actually put a label on their relationship. They never called each other, you know, their boyfriends or anything like that. But they did become exclusive. Like they stopped seeing, you know, other men. But they never actually said that they were in a relationship. 
some sources said that Dennis said that this relationship was never sexual. It was just kind of a platonic kind of relationship that they had. But other sources said that the two of them would have sex. But it was very rare. So no one really knows. I don't know what's true. And I don't suppose it matters too much. But the two men went out and they got a dog, a little border collie named Felipe. And they acted like a couple, whether it was kind of physically affectionate or not. After about this time when they got the doll, the relationship started to strain a little bit. And the men continued living together. They were just arguing quite a bit. And they would also bring back one night stands to the flat that they shared. And then one day after a heated argument, David decided to walk out on Dennis. Now, Dennis, he didn't want to be in this kind of you know, of relationship really anymore. And this took a big toll on Dennis. This was the only kind of meaningful relationship that Dennis Dennis had ever had in his whole 30 years of life, ever since his grandfather died when, you know, he was five. So this was the only person that ever really was nice to him. And that meant a lot to him. And he just kind of walked out. You'll see that as we get into the story of Dennis' murders and how much that actually affected him. Like, it left him with long-term issues. And after this, he went back to kind of his promiscuous lifestyle. But we're going to talk about that in part two this Saturday. So definitely make sure you tune in. So, of course, before we end this episode, I'm going to give a huge shout out to Have for the Greater Good. Y'all, I started my dreads probably a year to two years ago. At the time, I was wearing wigs and plaits and everything over my dreads because I didn't want to go through that ugly stage that they call it where your little dreads are like little turds on your head. You know, especially if you start off with real short hair. <laughs> and... I had her do my hair, and ever since then, y'all, I've been flaunting my little dreads. Who I don't play no games. I will wear my hair out so quick, and just to be able to get up and go is like life for me. It really is. You all, if you all book with her, you will not be disappointed. I promise you. I promise. You can find her on Instagram at Hair for the Greater Good. You can also find her page on Facebook at Hair for the Greater Good LLC. And her scheduling site is Hair for the Greater Good. I will also have her information posted on my Facebook page at Every Little Things Podcast. And you can click the link and go schedule your appointment. Because, baby, listen, it's the summertime, so I know you get your hair retwisted and then you sweating it right back out. So it's time to get it done. She does interlocking, sister locks, just about anything you can ask for with locks. She got you. I promise you won't be disappointed. And when you schedule with her, make sure you tell your friends, your family, the cats, the dogs, the pigs. Tell everybody. I promise you will love her. Once again, that's care for the greater good. Keep it going, girl. You're doing a good job. I'm so proud of you. 
and more hair, as they say, more hair. All right, y'all, so we're going to end this episode for tonight. Make sure you come back and join me for part two this Saturday on Dennis Nielsen's case. Of course, as you can hear, it's very interesting, and we aren't even done. So I will see you all Saturday. Good night.